are listening to the Raptor Report, the official podcast of Raptor Maps, the leading provider of life cycle management software for the solar industry. This is Stephen Gloss, the lead Raptor reporter, joined by my co-host, Don Nista. We are here to highlight the latest trends and developments within the solar industry. Joining us today is Dustin Hayes, a hybrid installer with Clean Solar, the fastest growing residential and commercial solar installation company based out of San Jose, California. We'll be digging into Dustin's experience installing solar for residential properties, as well as his current efforts involving energy storage systems. Thanks for taking part in this feature, Raptor Report. Dustin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This uh, this morning for me is a lot earlier than you guys, but it's great for me. So. Yeah, yeah. For our listeners, we are actually um, recording on a weekend and just uh, sort of proves the point that solar never stops. It just keeps on going. So really excited to talk to you today. And I'll hand it over to Don to sort of uh, dig into some of the first questions here. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. And uh, thanks, Dustin, for joining us. Um, like you said, early on a Saturday, I think we're recording this from three different time zones, actually, which is <laughs> we're we're all two hours apart from each other. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's dive in. So as Stephen mentioned, um, you work in the residential space in in the Bay Area. And I'm curious, I guess, what what led to you um, getting involved in, in solar kind of maybe give us your origin story, your background and, and, and how you uh, landed in the solar space. Uh, sure. Uh, it's not the the greatest of stories, but so all I was doing is I was working at a grocery store. Uh, I was working nights. Uh, I really love this shelves. start. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I didn't really have too much ambition about going to electrical or solar in general. It wasn't really a thought on my mind because in, in construction, I was, I'm, I don't know anything about it. Uh, but one of my coworkers, he got a, a an offer from his friend about doing solar installation. But what ended up happening is my friend is afraid of heights. So <laughs> he he gave me the offer and he's like, hey, do you want to do it? And I said, OK, uh, yeah, might as well. And um, right after my night shift, uh, one after hour or after that hour I got off, I went to um, just a one of their solar installations and they um, they had me just go on the roof and everything, and I was totally cool, which I've never done before. It was kind of it was kind of wild for me. And the the funny part, I'll, I'll give you a funny story about it. Is um, uh, so I'm uh, not I don't look like a construction worker, I <laughs> I guess. So and back in the day, I was like wearing uh, skinny jeans, and I just wasn't a stereotypical construction worker. So they actually thought their friend was pulling a prank on them. <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> so they they were like who the who is this kid like but um i ended up i, I will say i i this is kind of like a little arrogant but i was like i was definitely one of their favorite employees to come from it i, I worked with them for like six years so they they really uh stuck with me and I, I i bloomed into a very competent solar installer so that's great to hear how how just curious how long uh ago was that how long have you been um working in solar i think uh since 2015 of may is when i started oh nice so you've probably seen quite a bit at this point uh quite For a bit sure. of different systems and you mentioned uh as we were chatting earlier that you've you've uh you weren't always in california so you is that right you got your start in uh in the east 
Yeah, I got my start in Massachusetts. Uh, my company was out of Bellingham, which is just uh, central south Massachusetts. But we did um, installations all over from Boston to Cape Cod. And so. Very cool. There, there. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sure. I actually know that there are, but I'm curious to hear your take. Uh, the switch from Massachusetts to California. Um, you know what? What were the major differences? Uh, either with the systems or with the clients or with the roofs or the equipment. Um, I'm just curious, what's the differences between uh, the two regions? Uh, Equipment-wise, it's generally the same. Uh, the biggest differences for me are roof types and roof pitches. So out east, uh, we have like snow loads and we have to compensate. So a lot of a lot of roofs out there are pitched. They're higher pitched. Mm -hmm. And uh, out here in California... A lot of the roofs are very low pitch, which is super nice for me. But then I also have to deal with a lot of like clay tile roofs. And there's a lot more of that where out east, I generally saw asphalt and like metal uh, roofs. That's generally what I saw. So um, going from asphalt shingles to clay is kind of a, something I have to get accustomed to. And I still haven't really got accustomed to it. But I feel like those are the big differences. And then I guess people-wise, it's not too big of a deal other than, uh, at least in the Bay Area, a lot of people give you tips, which is just wild to me. I'm just like, I don't, I don't really need the tip, but I'll, I'll take it, I guess. But I guess it's just the culture out here to, to give money to every worker. Well, that's a, great, that's a great perk, though. I mean, that's certainly a positive. Uh, sure. And I, I, I don't know that I would have expected to hear that, if I'm being honest with you. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> I used I to work on residential systems. I don't think I ever got a tip. Maybe some like lemonade or donuts or something, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't remember any tips. You know, it's very rare. Very, I maybe like twice in my Massachusetts lifetime did I get like uh, monetary compensation. But uh, it in the West, it's like every, or at least in the Bay Area, I should say, maybe just people have money out here. I, I think um, that's what it is. <laughs> but it's just that, like that Google money. <laughs> yeah. Every other job, they'll give you at least like 20 bucks. Wow. So I'm, I, I'm, uh, so you were on asphalt and comp shingles out, out east. That's what I would expect. And maybe some mm -hmm. standing seam metal roofs. Um, and then I know those snow loads out there and wind loading can be quite high. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I hope your first, your first system you ever worked on wasn't like a 45 degree pitch though. The very first was not. The second it was. So oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was a forty-five. So I had I to get used to it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, harnessing up and all that. It's definitely, especially me not knowing construction experience. It was, it was very, very hard on your calves, and it's very unnerving to be attached, and you have to really trust the rope to, to function, um, yeah. to actually do any of the drilling or securing or laying panels you have to really trust your rope so yeah got... i i just had a, a giant tree branch hit like uh my patio outdoor patio roof outside and put a giant hole in it and so i can climb up my window and get onto that rooftop and that's mind you completely flat and i'm such a baby when it comes to heights i'm just like on there crawling just slowly afraid i'm gonna like fall through or something so kudos to you man it's, it's... <laughs> steven speaking of your your roof you've had a lot of things damage your roof lately did did you figure out if that was a meteorite that went through your roof or not i did I, it's still an unsolved mystery even the um because i ended up calling like a roofing company to come look at it and they were bewildered they're like this 
they had no clue. They'd never seen anything like it. So perhaps you got to go I'll... to like a rock, rock specialist or something to, to I gotta... figure out what happened. Yeah. So, but yeah, long story short is uh, I don't like heights either. So, I, but the funny thing <laughs> is, is I don't mind. I love skydiving. So that, that makes no sense. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You get used to it at least. So I feel like, yeah. um, the first time is always going to be scary, but you get used to the the feeling. So, so you went from you went from dealing with the height or dealing with the the pitches and the steep grades to now you have to deal with breaking Spanish tile and figuring out how to drill through, uh, and boot Spanish tile. Right. True. Yeah, it's a lot of like removing tile and uh, replacing it, and a lot of a lot of things I'm not used to. Like they, it's still the same concept where you think of shingles and how they're layered. It's it's still similar, so you can kind of get the fundamentals behind it, and like how it works but it's just not not the same yeah and actually the out here uh in california the weather's obviously different and i don't have to deal with snow anymore which is also a huge benefit so <laughs> just just to put that in there yeah that's that's great to hear so i, I i'm curious um I guess what when you when you first got into this, so you you said you were the skinny jean kid that looked like you had no right no right being on a construction site. So you had to have some ideas of what you were walking into, and 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 maybe you realized after the first day or the first week that you had some misconceptions going into it. So I'm curious, like how how did you feel going into it? What were you wrong about, and what have you learned that you didn't expect? Uh so I think the biggest thing. And this is going to sound a little because once you learn something, you kind of think it's easy. But um, at least the the rooftop application of solar, it, it's a lot of like plug and play. And um, it's not too hard, I will say, at least the solar of it. Um, you're putting down a racking system, securing to, to rafters. Uh, it's just pretty it it all makes sense. And it just so solar on the surface being hard to install. I was like, this is this is crazy solar. It's just going to be super hard to, to install, but it wasn't. And then the, the second most common thing was like uh, it being like an off grid solution. Like if you have solar panels on your roof, you don't need the grid and you can totally function without it. And that's why people do it. And uh, it's it's not <laughs> and you you can't unless you have a lot uh, more components. So uh, I think those are the two biggest things. <clears throat> that was uh you'd be you'd be well maybe you wouldn't be but maybe our listener would be surprised so i used to commission residential pv systems and that discussion in a lot of in a lot of cases didn't happen until i was commissioning the system and showing the showing the owner how to monitor the system and how to how to look at their uh production uh they would say in that conversation so oh i can't wait to so the power goes out and I'm the only one in the neighborhood with my lights on. And I'd be, I'd look at them and be like, um, did your salesman tell you that? Or did you, did you just, did you just not ask? Cause they, I mean, the, the way that all, every single one of those inverters without a, without a solar plus storage configuration, the moment they lose grid voltage, they, they disconnect completely. So it's, uh, I, I hear you, man. I've heard it so many times and, like I said, shockingly, sometimes it's at the end of the installation and you have to be the the one to break their heart. Yeah, it does. It's definitely hard. You feel like the salesman can always do a lot more than they do. 
but yeah, a lot of things do fall through and people, uh, th- I, not, 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 not to get into it, but a lot of homeowners, they'll, um, they'll buy something or at least solar. It seems, I don't know. I've never installed anything else, I guess, but they don't know what they're buying half the time. It's like, you, you spend this much money on this, this system and you, you haven't done the research on what it actually does. It's like, and you get to the point where like, yeah, I have to explain it to you and you've already bought it and you've already signed off and all of this. And it's like, you, how much money do you have? <laughs> I, I hear oh, that. I've I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times and I've I've seen people purchase systems specifically to show up their neighbors. Um <laughs> and, and in those cases we've had a situation where I'll tell a quick story. Uh I was I was engineering a system um and you know, residential systems, I guess all systems are typically either uh east facing, south facing, or west facing. Um, this, this particular customer had a great south facing roof face to install solar and they insisted that we put it on the north face and we pushed back and pushed back and the production figures didn't make any sense. And they eventually just caved in and told us, uh, one of their neighbors had got solar and they wanted to show them up and they wanted the solar to be on the front of their house and be facing the street. So everybody driving by could see it. Wow. And it hurt system performance by about. 60% 60% and 70% and they still paid for it and still wanted it. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't think that's definitely common for someone to do it, to do that because of their neighbor, but I, I've had it. So you can't put it on the front of your house. Like some, um, certain areas like HOA type stuff where they're like, Oh, we don't want to see it on the front. So if the front side of your house is the, the South facing you're, you're you can't do it which is wow. unfortunate yeah we've been badgering through a lot of questions dustin i'm sure you maybe talk just to who knows maybe a random stranger at a grocery store sometime like if you do bump into just uh you know somebody who's curious about your work what what are some of the most common questions you get from people i i think it, it definitely is in line with what most people's misconceptions like my misconceptions it's uh generally like how much does it cost is a big one. Uh, can I use my solar off grid is the, is another one. And then you'll see a lot of like, Oh, I'm building a shed out back. Like how do I, how do I run plugs and lights in this shed? Um, and that's, that's a, that's a complicated one because there are systems where you can buy like little kits and, uh, you can get like little charge controllers and batteries and you can run like plugs and lights here, but to actually like incorporate it into your electrical system is, a little more complicated mm-hmm. to get it the tradition traditional way but i feel like the biggest one is like hey i'm doing this project out back how do i get off the grid um <laughs> and do it legally and i'm like well it's very hard to do it legally but you can do it illegally and maybe run a shed with like a battery here and there but not something you, i generally do <laughs> you, you you bring up another good point there and this is something i've heard a lot in my past is is the misconception that uh if you do get solar plus storage or you do get some sort of um, battery system um, that you can disconnect from the grid and m- people don't realize like that's that, that the electrical utility, the city, like you, you are not allowed to do that. You have to stay grid tied. Even if your system can uh, be fully sustain you uh, and your, your consumption um, you still have to be grid tied. In a lot of cases you still have to pay, uh, a maintenance fee monthly to the to the utility for maintaining the grid for you 
So yeah, that's so unfortunate. That, yeah. You, so you've seen people kind of thinking the same, like, oh, I just want to pull the plug and do my own thing over here. And you have to break their heart on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it does. It's unfortunate where like, if you don't use, say you don't use electricity for that whole month or you don't use gas for that whole month, or you don't use water for that whole month. Like you're still going to pay to the utility for like a tie in fee or yeah, like you're saying maintenance, um, they need some sort of incentive, but it does suck that you don't have that option, but it, it is just how our infrastructure works. And to actually run your whole house off of batteries and have it be consistent and not dangerous is it, there's a lot going on in there. So I kind of get it to some extent, but yeah, still. Yeah. I've worked on, uh, I've worked on quite a few, uh, systems that are, that are standalone systems with, with, uh, off-grid battery backup or battery storage, um, in the mountains in Colorado, but there's different rules in some of those rural areas. Um, when you're, when you're within city limits and you've got to deal with HOAs and city, uh, governments, you're typically not allowed to play around like that. So that makes sense. I, I'm curious, I guess, how, how has, uh, how has quote business been, uh, in the Bay area? Um, are you guys, you know, swamped and more projects than you can deal with and turning down jobs or how, how has, uh, I, I know things can tend to, to ebb and flow with the seasons and, and with, uh, you know, incentives and, and, government regulations changing so I'm, I'm curious what it's been like lately i yeah i feel like incentives are pretty huge i'm not too sure about the incentives out here i haven't been too involved at least in the california area for the incentives but that seems like a driving factor determining whether or not people get uh solar is how much money they can get, immediately get back with incentives and stuff which is uh in my mind it's a little silly because uh from my time in massachusetts you could get solar loans and the the cost of paying off that solar loan is the offset of your now zeroed out electric bill. So it kind of made total sense to just get it. And then after X amount of years, you're totally free from the solar loan and you're paying zero on your electric bill. So if you're going to be at your house for 10 years, like you you don't even need those incentives. They are nice, but they shouldn't be like a huge driving factor. But it is uh, nice. But in the Bay Area, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of installs. I'd say I I don't know if we're swamped per se, but um, we have a decent amount of employees, and the solar out here is very saturated. So even for a company like us, where I think we're generally a higher cost because we say we do quality work, and that's like part of our 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 thing. So it it's going well. It's going well. Um, there's a lot more incentive out here than Massachusetts for me uh, because of uh, just the way energy credits work. Um, if you push out energy credits to the grid, you're not getting a one-to-one -one ratio or even close to that. I think it's a little ridiculous uh, for PG&E how much they're actually giving you back. So there's a lot more incentive to get solar and storage. Because now, once you get solar in storage, uh, now you can discharge your battery during certain times where you're more efficiently using your solar. So it's using your house loads and then going to your battery, and you're not actually pushing to the grid that much. So, and in in combination with how much 
electricity costs out here, which I don't know too much or how much it costs, but I know that it costs more. So solar is kind of booming out here, even though it is highly saturated, there's tons of companies out here. We're still doing pretty well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah, so you mentioned, uh, you know, battery systems, storage systems. I'm sure you're starting to see more of that um, and, and being coupled with these these solar uh, installations. I'm curious if the if if you see more owners that are um, excited about the backup features, like like you would get from a, a whole house generator, that type of thing during during grid outages. I know many parts of California over the last few years, there's been some issues with uh, grid outages. So you see people that are excited for those features or people that are excited for, as you mentioned, um, the time of use rates and and like the load shifting features, or is it a blend? Uh, I think it's a blend, uh, but mostly I do think it's more of the financial incentive and less of the, the backup. You see... You do see the outages out here, and they, they tend to be the utility in preparation of like high winds or fires. They'll shut them down, but it's not like, at least out east, we have snow and trees falling and hitting power lines. So most of the time, it was from what I saw, it was for backup use only. It is a blend. People are excited about like not having the interruption because that can be a big deal for for people if they're working from home a lot, uh, they don't want that potential interruption of their work or their potential for making money or working in general. So the backup, uh, at least getting rid of the potential of interruption is a huge benefit for them. But they're also excited about the the financial aspect of the uh, one, they, they do have the incentives and one I do know about that at least I saw in Massachusetts and I think California is doing it as well is the the utility has a potential of using your battery um, to lower the stress of their grid and during during like peak demand times uh, super peak demand I think it's like high temp plus peak demand is when they want to use it and they actually give you a I think it's like a flat rate uh, yearly or quarterly to compensate for that, which I think is super cool because in, in the end run of things to be able to lessen the stress on the grid, I think is a future goal of um, I, both of us because to me, not to go on and on, but the utility and us, uh, the solar are constantly fighting. It seems it doesn't seem like we have a common goal. Like anytime you put solar on someone's home, we're kind of taking away from them, but uh, to have that cooperation where it's like, hey, we have batteries. You guys can use them sometimes to make makes your life easier, makes our life easier. Like, hey, let's do that. So I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That's the first I've heard of the utilities calling on residential batteries for uh, um, for, for balancing. I We see this in the utility space all the time, um, either curtailments or um, calling on storage for for grid balancing, but I, I I did not realize that that um is potential in in the residential space. So pretty cool. Uh, I I'm curious, are you seeing um customers that have solar already, and you guys are coming back to add storage systems as well? 
so I'll, I'll give you two. Uh, in Massachusetts, um, we were primarily doing solar and energy storage at the same time. That's kind of what we're seeing. You definitely see sometimes where you're going after the fact and you're installing batteries. But uh, in California, the way our jobs tend to be working out is we have solar crews and we have battery crews. So we're doing it on um, two separate occasions. So right now, I'm going to tell you that I'm only doing jobs where I'm doing energy storage on a system that already has solar. But, and I think that's just like, it's logistics based and if you if you have a, a huge crew going out and the timing involved of like when does the roof cop, rooftop get done and the batteries in the way of uh, where the inverter is going to be so and there's just a lot of work and logistics involved in doing it at the same time i think it's way more efficient to do it at the same time but i guess logistically it doesn't make sense for us to do it at this moment so i'm seeing more after the fact installs yeah, Dustin, would you mind rewinding the tape a little bit for us to just sort of tell our listeners about your transition into working with battery storage? What were uh, some of the biggest parallels and differences between that work and now your 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 current work? I it's it's for me it's incredibly different. Um, at least for the systems I've installed, I've installed Tesla Powerballs, I've installed uh, Generac, which used to be Pika Energy. Um, I've installed the solar energy bank and I've done like one end phase uh, smart switch. I think this is what they're called. Uh, but the, the difference is it's supremely different. I, I feel like you need to know a lot more electrical theory and a lot more electrical codes because you are, you, you essentially want to be upstream of any of the loads because in our sense, we're basically putting in like an ATS an automatic transfer switch, which just, you see that in generators a lot where uh, it isolates the the grid from the rest of the house. And what that allows is the battery will backfeed to those loads without having the potential of going back to the grid. So you have to tend to be upstream of uh, those loads. And to do that, you need to know a lot about the electrical system in someone's house, how it functions, uh, how to relocate uh, certain loads, maybe you can put an essential loads panel downstream uh, instead of like putting your ATS, I say in quotes, uh, because I think it's automatic transfer relay is what they call it. But I, I feel like people understand ATS a bit more. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more into understanding uh, how someone's residential electrical system works mm -hmm. with uh, energy storage. Whereas in solar, you're kind of like, you're doing, uh, you're running DC down from the roof to an inverter, and then you're interconnecting your inverter to the electrical panel. And there, there are some codes that you do have to worry about, but you're putting in uh, most of the time a backfed breaker or a supply side tap. Um, you see sometimes, and it's not, it's really not too complicated. Uh, energy storage, you get a lot more complicated in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds like that uh, you have to like go back to some schooling or get further education to make that jump or was that sort of done on your own or did your did a company offer that to you so i did go to um i guess i don't know what to call it but it is a electrical school so to be at least an electrician in massachusetts you need eight thousand hours of uh, work hours and then 600 hours of school hours by an accredited school 
so I had to go to that school and basically what that school tells you is it runs you through the national electric code and it shows you it'll teach you electrical theory um, it teaches you like uh, arithmetic just so you know math and then it teaches you a lot of electrical code. Um, it basically almost goes through the whole book. Wow. And it, it, if you have a good teacher, which I did for parts of my schooling, I won't rat out my first <laughs> teacher, but um, I had a really great teacher. And he, teach me, he taught me a lot um, about electrical. And uh, in, con in combination with being in the field uh, you and doing batteries, you are able to put that in practice. Uh, so you, you just end up learning a lot more so doing uh, energy storage. And I think the fact that I was doing, I transitioned into energy storage at the same time I was doing schooling uh, really helped me understand uh, a lot of the electrical system yeah. for residential homes. Did you say 8,000 hours of work hours? Yeah, it ends up being uh, yeah. four, four years of full time. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> it, it uh I, I i've been through the same uh eight thousand hours under a under a uh, licensed uh master yes and yeah those tests aren't easy either taking my journeyman test for colorado and it's a bear but um i'm, I'm curious so you said earlier uh that things have become a bit plug and play um and I, I tend to agree. Um, I installed my first residential systems in 2010 and primarily string inverters and not that they were more complicated, but um, I guess slightly there was, there was, you know, there's stringing involved and I, I know they're still stringing the micro inverters and, and, uh, and optimizers, but it's just different um, because you have AC directly from the device uh, or at least in, in micro inverter situations. So I, uh, are you seeing are you still seeing string inverters is it primarily optimizers and and micro or is it mostly micro what's what's the blend uh these days uh, i will say i i don't think i've ever installed a string inverter um i know i've worked on them i've done service work on them and it can be it, it's it it feels a lot more dangerous than it is i mean with the national electric code we have to at least on homes, I think you could see string inverters with ground mounts uh, because they're isolated from someone's home. And if they cause a fire, generally they're only hurting the system itself rather than someone or someone's home. But uh, at homes with the National Electric Code, you need to have, uh, I don't know, I forget if it's required to have panel to panel voltage, but it has to be under a certain voltage. Uh, so they call, have something called rapid shutdown. So when you mm -hmm. turn off the inverter, it needs to go under a certain voltage within 10 seconds. I think it's around 40. Uh, and that's for like firefighters and safety aspects. But with a string inverter, if you turn off the inverter, you still have around like operating voltage, which can be like from 380 volts to you know 480 volts, depending on how it's uh, strung. And if a firefighter gets up there, you know, you could hurt the firefighter or you can cause an arc if you complete the circuit somehow else or you're cutting through the circuit. Uh, there's a lot of issues. So you tend, I don't think you ever see string inverters on someone's house anymore. I I haven't done one and I don't think you can if I were a betting man. Maybe you could, but <laughs> um, 
But even I, with ground uh, mounts, I still run. Uh, I, I've still been running either micros or optimizers, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, that I mean, so so many years ago, that technology was primarily used for when you had um, multiple different azimuths on a on a rooftop um, or weird string configurations. You would use optimizers and and end phase or, or string inverters, and that was they were more expensive, um, but they worked in those situations. They were more dynamic. Um, whereas string inverters, you required your entire strings be at the same azimuth at the same, um, pitch. Uh, and then I was actually working as a PV engineer when the, uh, when the rapid shutdown requirement came about, um, and there was no product that actually, um, worked for the rapid shutdown. So to answer your question, yes, you can still do string inverters on residential. You just have to install a rapid shutdown device, um, as you were mentioning, um, whereas, end phase inverters and, and optimizers um, isolate within the required time of the rapid shutdown. So you don't have to install an additional device, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to, to hear that you just, there's just, they're just not even around anymore at all. I know, I know they're still being installed in some cases, but uh, it's, I, we kind of saw it coming. We saw the technology, the end phase tech and the, the um, optimizer tech starting to take over. So I'm interested to hear that it it basically did um, and squashed out the string inverters. Yeah, at least in my experience, uh, it does remind me that there is at least the, the Generac, which used to be Pika, they have something called PV links. And you're basically stringing about like eight panels into one essential optimizer. And something that they ran into it being an issue is the rapid shutdown. So their their compensation is they had to run these inline rapid shutdown devices for each panel so you had to like put this it's essentially an mc4 connector on the panel for each panel and then plug it into the pv link uh so it it's it does suck that they developed this um this system and they're like oh man i have to compensate for rapid shutdown now and now i have to do this <laughs> silly and now now it's like Nobody wants to do it because it's so uh, silly and monotonous and yep. yeah, so. Yeah, I think I know the device you're talking about. Um, we were invited to speak with a lot of manufacturers during that time uh, that were trying to figure out how to solve this new code, this new rapid shutdown code, um, because the code rolled out uh, and it was ahead of the manufacturers. The manufacturers and, and, and the market um, wasn't prepared for it and there were no uh, tech solutions in place. So everybody started scrambling to figure out how to, how to disconnect this equipment. So like you said, a fireman didn't climb up on the roof and chop through a, uh, a live cable. Um, so it's interesting to hear how that's, uh, evolved over time. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Dustin, I just wanted to really, first off, just thank you for your time. It's been just an absolute pleasure getting to learn about your story and, and how it all started from just a grocery store to where you are today. I think that's that's really cool to see that from start to finish. As we do some little, do a little, I guess, sightseeing into the future, what do you envision the future of solar? Like, what does that look like in your mind? Uh, so I, I, I don't like that. The grid is essentially like a oligopoly where they have so much power over residential homes. And my goal would be 
if we can somehow eliminate the essential need for the grid. And so if we install so many solar panels and so many energy storage systems that uh, maybe we can potentially leverage against them so they're not they don't have such a chokehold on us. I think that would be the future I want out of solar. Yeah. Or actually, I should say on top of that, the fact that the utility, uh, they have a lot of they have a lot of issues, at least out here. And I don't know. I shouldn't uh, trash talk PG&E, but <laughs> um, a lot of people do trash talk PG&E out here, and the infrastructure hasn't been maintained as well as it could be. So it's potentially causing a lot of fires. So if we can eliminate some of the stress on them and have them be able to address those concerns or Mm -hmm. move a different route, I think they're trying to do more underground stuff than overhead. And I think they view that as uh, safer, which I would agree in terms of like, you know, you're not going to have cables that uh, or wires, I should say, that get cut. And um, now they're on the street and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's my future goal for solar. No, I think that that sort of speaks to a lot of the conversations we had. And I also touching on just the potential harmony that the opportunity that exists for utility and maybe residential to work together to sort of share power, I feel like is an interesting component of that as well. What do you think, Don? Yeah, it's uh I, I mean, you you you've touched on a few things in this comments about um the infrastructure, the reliability. The maintenance, um, all of that needs to be to be improved. And the utilities, I, I would love to see the utility, the utilities uh, getting on board with some of this emerging technology versus pushing back and trying to <laughs> trying to uh, maintain their stronghold on the market. Um, you know, I, I I know there's some deregulated markets around the country, and that's super interesting to me. And starting to see kind of. Uh, the fact that the fact that people can produce their own power and be independent from an electric bill and it's obviously i could see why the utility would would uh give some pushback and not be all on board for that but as you mentioned uh we're hoping more and more of that's the future and and more regions are able to to get access to this tech so yeah i i agree on that sentiment yeah excellent dustin well as we uh, close out this report, like I said, it's been an ple- absolute pleasure to have you here on the show. I wanted to see, uh, do you have any closing comments or any final thoughts before I close this out? Uh, well, it's been a, a pleasure. Uh, this is my first uh, electrical podcast, I would say. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I'm always excited. I'm excited for solar. I'm excited to uh, keep doing it. I, I hope uh, there is a stigma against solar installers, I will say. I haven't really addressed it, but a lot of us think we're we're cowboys and some of us are, but I'm not. So if we could release that stigma of solar, at least the installers, that would be great. But you're not, you're not the, the skinny jean cowboy out there? No, no. Well, still, still skinny jeans from time to time, I would say, but definitely not a cowboy. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, if anybody wants to learn more about you, your company, or just be able to follow you, uh, what, where, what would you reference them to? Uh, I mean, my company is called Clean Solar. Uh, we're out of San Jose. Uh, you can find them through there. Our our CEO, Randy Zekman, you can actually see him on a lot of, he does a lot of podcasts as well as he just did something with the, 
the state on energy, some, some, something cool, I say. So Randy Zekman, you can find, Clean Solar, you can find. And if you want to find me, um, you're probably going to find, because I used to be a professional gamer, so you're probably going to find, um, I have a gamer tag called Dark, D-A-R-C, S-S-B-M. That's my Twitter. That's probably where you could find me, but you're not going to find much about electrical <laughs> on there. So, <laughs> well, no, no, That's I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you didn't bring that up till the end. I could have nerded out with you about gaming this entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's how I know Noah is through gaming. So, Oh, this oh, all makes nice. so much sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Dustin. And thanks to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Raptor Report. We hope we've been able to provide you with some enlightening insights that have sparked your curiosity and increased your awareness of developments within the solar industry. Look out for new episodes on your favorite podcasting platform where you'll get to have the chance to hear insights about solar from unique perspectives and leaders within the solar industry. Until then, this is Stephen Gloss and Don Nista signing off.